In this episode of Influencers, win President and CEO Christine Quinn. The vision of the perfect New York couple, a teacher and a, a police officer, or a teacher and a firefighter, they can't find an apartment anymore. The truth is crime has gone up in New York. It's gone up around the country. CEOs, again, I don't really care what you think. I care what you do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to our guest, Christine Quinn, former Speaker of the New York City Council and President and CEO of an organization called WIN. Yep, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us, Christine. Um, maybe we could start off by asking you about the midterm elections coming up. What are your thoughts here in New York City, New York State, I should say, more specifically, and then nationally? What are the trends you're seeing right now? Well, you know, a midterm election for a president uh, in his second year historically is never a good thing. So I am hoping that this election bucks trend and starts a new movement of the president and his or her party doing very well. But that said, what we see across the country is a particular uh, sense of battle and turbulence for, the, for us Democrats as it relates to the House even more than the Senate, which was not something that I think people would have expected. Now, that said, uh, there's two or three weeks left, whatever it is, and that's a lifetime in a campaign. Although President Biden's numbers are not where I would want them to be, they are trending up, not down, so that is a good thing. He's made a powerful announcement about abortion and choice, which matters a lot, not just to Democrats, but to Republican and independent women. So I think that's something that we're going to be able to use moving forward. Yeah, I think the issues, you know, are clearly domestic, right? Yep. I mean, you're yep. talking about crime, you're talking about Roe v. Wade. And the economy. And the economy. I mean, yep. those are sort of the big three. Um, you're kind of connected to two of those, at least. Right. Well, maybe the economy as well. But um, what is your take? We, you mentioned Roe v. Wade a little bit. Um, crime sort of speaks to some of the work, in some cases, related to the work you do with WIN, because people equate homelessness and crime, and right. there's maybe some connections there. What is your thinking there? And why is that? Is that a problem, and is it really resonating with voters? Do you, think? you know, uh, people often associate homeless people, particularly single homeless men, with crime. The statistics do not bear that out. I mean, yes, are there single homeless men who commit crime? Yes. Are there single men who are housed who commit crime? In fact, to a far greater degree than homeless men. But it's easy always to vilify those who are different, to vilify those who are the other, to vilify, vilify those you think you can push out of your neighborhood. And that's what is happening, I believe, in the perception that homeless people, particularly homeless men, are the drivers of increased crime in New York now, the truth is crime has gone up in New York. It's gone up around the country. Um, but if you look at most of the Republicans who are running, particularly look in the case of New York at Lee Zelding, who's running for governor, these are all individuals who want to strike down sensible gun laws, who certainly don't want to pass any more sensible gun laws. What we do see a correlation between in crime is illegal guns and places that are kind of on the illegal gun highway. Crime is going up. New York is one of those places. So Lee Zeldin would like us to think he's an anti-crime 
candidate when in fact he's a pro-crime candidate because he's going to put more guns out there on the street and he is also going to put crime victims, some crime victims in harm's way. He wants a national ban against abortion with no exceptions. Think if you have are the survivor of rape or sexual assault and you find out that that rape has caused you to be pregnant, to not have an option because the governor, a man, doesn't want you to, that's devastating, devastating. So in no way should he stand up or other Republicans across the country who are pushing for a national ban with no exceptions, no way they should stand up and say that they care about crime victims. I take it you support our current governor. I do, Kathy okay. Hochul. Got that. Okay. <laughs> Let me ask you about, about WIN then. Tell yes. us what that organization does. Sure. WIN, uh, also known as Women in Need, we are the largest provider of shelter and permanent supportive housing to homeless families with children. And as our first uh, question kind of indicated, a lot of people, you say homelessness, and their you know, Pavlovian response is single man on the street. Though there are a lot of single homeless people on the street and they need assistance. But over 65% of everyone in shelter right now is a family with a child. In fact, there are more children in shelter than there are seats in the Barclays Center where the Nets play. That is a massive number of children who are spending some significant portion of their early lives in shelter. And we know that one of the factors of trauma that indicate you're likely to be a homeless adult is being a homeless child. 92% of our families at Wynn uh, are, are headed by single women. That is a nature, tragically, of poverty in this city, state, and country. What most people probably will be surprised by is over 50% of those moms are working. They're working, but they couldn't afford to pay the rent or they were fleeing domestic violence and have now ended up in shelter. How do you get your funding for WIN, Christine? So New York City is one of the few jurisdictions that has what's called a right to shelter law. It was a result of a lawsuit in the late 80s, early 90s. So if you are homeless, the city of New York has to house you. When this lawsuit first uh, went down, the city tried to run the shelters, and they realized they still run a couple. They were not that good at it. So um, they began contracting them out to not-for-profit groups. So we have contracts with the city of New York, but the contracts to run the shelter basically pay for rent, uh, heat, light, hot water. They don't really pay for the breadth and depth of services that people need. So we also do a lot of private fundraising, foundations, individuals, events, because we want um, the contract to be the floor. We want the needs of our clients to be the ceiling. So in addition to the case management, which the contract pays for, we also have a very expansive job training program, income building. We have a camp, a STEAM-based camp all summer, but every day or week school is Wait, out a of what session. what-based camp? STEAM, which is STEM adding. Oh, right, read the, yeah. But we added in the A, a for, for art. art. Got so, it, right. um, yeah. uh, STEM and art, which is STEAM. Got it. There you go. Okay, got it. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not just summer. Mm -hmm. It's any it. day or week school is out of session because mom is either working, 
in a training program or dealing with, you know, government appointments. Right. Um, also, we have um, social workers on site who do counseling both for adults, one of the few family homeless groups that have those for children uh, as well. We're grateful to Google out there who supports a uh, computer training program. We want to make sure when you leave when you don't come back to shelter. And that means we need to help you find an affordable apartment with our housing coordinators. And it also means if you're work able, we need you to leave with a job that is not a minimum wage job because that's going to bring you back into shelter. You mentioned Google. That's interesting. What other private sector companies do you work with or do organizations like yours work with nationally? And what should the private sector do in terms of helping out with the homelessness problem? So we're, we're lucky. We've, we've had great support historically from Pepsi, BlackRock, uh, Blackstone. We've had great support from the Francine Lafrac Foundation, a real estate uh, company. Brookfield, a large real estate company, very, very generous. Uh, the New York Mets have been very uh, generous. And really, we're a lot of companies. I mean, one thing companies can do is if they don't have a giving arm, right, they need to get one. And that may be in the form of found grants, maybe in the form of at events, buying tables, however you want to do it. But you can't, in my opinion, exist in the city of New York and have all most of your employees come from New York and think you don't get to give back. Because every day you're walking the streets, our police are connected are protecting you, our firefighters are protecting you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you need to give back. Two, you need to set up an arm that's a volunteer program. You know, at Morgan Stanley, their tech team created these robots that would chase tennis balls. And I don't know who had more fun, the tech folks when they came to the shelter or the kids, but that's a great thing for kids to see there's a job where you can make robots and play with robots. It makes a big difference. Or, you know, sometimes people come and volunteer and they just sort through our clothes that we're going to give away, etc. You know, three, companies should think about when they're going to make a statement. So if you're a company and you feel like my employees are saying there's too much homelessness in this city and it bothers them, okay. We'll make an affirmative statement that you think the city needs to spend more money on housing that's permanent that homeless people can afford. Because businesses, I can say this having been in government, businesses get listened to by government. Mm. I'm glad you broadened it out to other cities in the United States. And that brings me to this question, which is a huge question in our country right now, Christine, which is New York, L.A., San Francisco, other cities as well, but why are there so many homeless people now in these big cities, Christine? Well, look, every city has its own dynamic, but at the base of everything, I believe, is that housing has become unaffordable, certainly in New York and across the country. If there, the majority of the housing stock is incredibly expensive and out of reach of folks who are making just above minimum wage, say, then you're going to end up with people who don't have someplace they can live. Two, and this isn't a bad thing, though this is going to sound convoluted, we've done a lot of work as a country and a society over the past few decades around domestic violence sending out a message that if you leave the batterer, you will be supported. There are places for you to go. And survivors are hearing that message and leaving. And that is creating a big 
at times the leading reason people enter family shelter. And we don't want that to stop because we want people to leave and we want to then help them get stabilized and get housing. But we need to, if we really want to end this crisis, we need to either or both develop more housing that's affordable to very low income people and put programs in place like housing vouchers that pay for part of the rent that will get people out of shelter. It isn't, we think it's a disease we, you know, we can't cure, that it's some type of, you know, rare blood cancer we don't know the answer to. No, it's really not that complicated. People don't have homes, we gotta get them homes. Right, and is that the same issue, Christine, the people who are in shelters versus the people who are living on the streets? I mean, cause you know, You'd say that to people, and maybe this is more L.A. and San Francisco. No, no, like, no, that's oh, an these issue people in New don't want to like. They don't want to go. Me for this minute. They don't want to leave the streets and go into the shelters. So there, the street population, which is always smaller than the population in shelter, um, there is a level of mental illness among yeah. that population. There's no question about that. Now that said. When you do well-funded street outreach, you can get people to come in, but you need to make sure the shelters they come into have the services they need, because if they don't, they'll leave and they won't come back. Will there always be some smaller subset that won't go in? Yes. But if you do outreach, and really the first time you talk to somebody, unlikely they're going to come in. It takes repeats, it takes consistency. Uh, if we have groups that do that, it will bring people in. And so housing is the key. I mean, are there other programs or other types of ways of addressing the problem that should be enacted? Sure, I mean, one is supporting programs like the job training program we have. Because if you don't have a good job, you're not gonna be able to pay the portion of your, to pay your rent or pay the portion of your rent that you have to pay for the voucher. You have to make sure people get their GEDs because if they don't, there are very few uh, uh, options for them. I met with a very generous woman yesterday. She's given us $200,000 to pay for things like uniforms that people need, uh, training certificates that people need. That all needs to be put in place so somebody isn't, who's a home health aide, has the option of moving up the uh, medical scale. Two, we need to make sure we have mental health services in our shelters for both those who are profoundly mentally ill, a lot of people we see on the street, and those who um, are episodically me mentally ill, so to speak, who the, the, the trauma of homelessness or domestic violence has caused severe depression you know, or anxiety. Right now, we're advocating for a piece of legislation in the New York City Council to create funding for mental health services in family shelters. Right now, that does not, it not exist. It exists in the singles, we probably need more there, but it doesn't exist in the families. And we know that people who are homeless, mothers who are homeless, are 11% more likely to never return to shelter if they've had mental health services. Talk to us about um, Mayor Adams, who recently said that uh, this, the crisis of people, migrants or people coming here has become um, a crisis and earmarking a billion dollars for that. What is that all about? So um, folks may or may not have heard that the uh, literally out of his mind, horrible governor of Texas uh, decided one day, I'm sure it wasn't one day, I'm sure it was weeks of planning and meeting with political consultants, um, 
that he was going to start sending the asylum seekers who crossed the border to New York on buses. So you've now just gone through this trauma. Uh, there was a story recently about a family that watched another family drowned as they were trying to get here. You get uh, to Texas, and you get put on a bus, and you're going to New York. And you get off in the Port Authority. Now, if anybody's ever been to the Port Authority, I know one loves 42nd Street more than I do. It could be a little less Disney, but that's a, another conversation. But it's not the most welcoming place to get off, get off if you don't speak English and you don't uh, never been here before. But anyway, so um, we're up to, I think, about 11,000 people now who've come uh, uh, to New York this way. And when I say they come with the clothes on their back and the flip-flops on their feet, that is all they come with. They're also not documented, although they are asylum seekers and there are numerous legal categories that they would fall under, they're not qualifying for things like food stamps, EBT. So we have 250, 248, whatever, uh, refugee families that win right now, 700 children. We are having to provide them with all new clothes, with winter clothes, with three meals a day, you know, every day, uh, with full protein, et cetera. So the mayor is not wrong when he says it's a crisis, because that's not typically what our system was designed to, to take care of or address. That said, you put your foot down in New York, you're a New Yorker, and we're going to take care of you. And these families are some of the most resilient, tough, hardworking people I have ever met. But it's Where just... Where are they from, by the way? Um, most of our families are from Venezuela, right. though there are some from other parts of South and Central America. We have a few families from Russia and a few families from Africa. Wow. Um, but the majority is from, you know, Venezuela. And when you talk to them, what do, they, what do they want? Do they want to live in New York now? Do they want to enter our society and get jobs and have homes ultimately? A lot have ultimately? jobs already. Right, have but, jobs, but, oh, okay. You mean yeah. off the books. Um, uh, I probably should have said that. Uh, so, look, they want to be safe. That's the main thing they want to be, is they want to be free. They want to be free, and they want to be free from the violence that uh, was happening in their countries, whether it was government-sanctioned violence or gangs who were, in essence, government-sanctioned. Some have family and other, or friends in other parts of the country, and we are happy uh, when in the city to get them bus fare or whatever, but the most of them want to be anywhere that they can be safe and their children can be safe and their children can get an education. And New York certainly, you know, fits the bill uh, in, that, in that regard. And, uh, you know, I think there is much more we could be doing as a federal government to respond to this situation, much more we could be doing as a city to respond to this situation for those who are going to end up staying here um, in New York City. I do want to say that companies have stepped up and, you know, donating clothes and uh, donating other items that we need. Churches have stepped up. Trinity Churches sent us 80 boxes, you know, of diapers and baby wipes the first week, which was, you know, just uh, uh, critical. But this is a problem that's going to be a challenge. I don't want to call it a problem. It's a challenge that's going to be with us for a while. But, you know, there's a story I, I just want to share. So uh, in one of our shelters, uh, a more typical New Yorker, you know, long, longer-term New Yorker homeless family, got a box, this just happened last week, and went door-to-door -door in the shelter asking their fellow residents if they had any clothes they didn't need. 
because the refugees had less than they did. Wow, so the homeless are helping out the refugees. Exactly. And they left the box so in the, the lobby. So where's the rest of the New Yorkers, right? Right, yeah, right. no, yeah. they left yeah. a box in the lobby. Right. Yeah. And oh, that's um, yeah, yeah, I do want to say, I mean, mm. look, we need more. Go to mm. Win's website, winnyc, two N's, winnyc.org. If you're a New Yorker, donate and volunteer. If you're not a New Yorker, do donate bigger because you can't volunteer. But we need volunteers, particularly anybody who is bilingual, Spanish, French, Russian, any African uh, dialects, because that that's a challenge. Most of these folks do not speak English. But what we've also seen, which has been amazing, is like our security staff staying after their, and maintenance, staying after their shift is done to translate. Are the buses still coming? Yes. Wow. All right. Let me let me take a step back and ask you, Christine, if yes. you were mayor of New York, which you almost were, I thought you were going to be. Me too. Right. <laughs> um, what, what, what would you be doing right now, and what would you have done differently from de Blasio and, and Adams today then? Well, look, right now, one of the best tools to get people out of shelter is what I talked about, a housing voucher. And... Uh, about a year or so ago, we at Wynn led an advocacy campaign and got the amount of money in the voucher increased. Right. right now, the administration has all of these red tape nightmares that are slowing down the processing of these vouchers. And landlords are literally saying, look, I held this apartment for two weeks. I got somebody else who wants to rent it. Sorry. So I've fixed the red tape right away. Two... There's a rule in the Department of Homeless Services that you can't look for an apartment for 90 days. A third of all of our clients are not eligible to look for housing. We have a housing shortage. Let's start on day one. The sooner we start looking, the sooner we get people out, the sooner we have, you know, more beds for other people in needs. And this rule is just a vestige of the Giuliani era when all he ever wanted to do was, you know, punish homeless people. So those are, are two things I would do right away. I would also, you know, invest a lot more money in supportive housing, which is permanent housing for formerly homeless people, but that has services on site. Other things besides housing, though. I mean, talking about all the stuff. You get the whole purview in front of you. Well, that, you know, look Taxes, I, rich people, poor people. You know, all that good stuff. There you go. Well, look, another thing I would do that does intersect with homelessness is we need to make sure that the city's affordable housing plan. When I first started doing housing work in 1989, affordable housing meant homeless and formerly homeless, low, low income. Now we need a housing plan that's affordable to, has units that are affordable to formerly homeless, low income, moderate, and middle income New Yorkers because, you know, the, the vision of the perfect New York couple, a teacher and a, a police officer or a teacher and a firefighter, they can't find an apartment anymore. We fix that by using the power of the city of New York. Another crisis in New York, and I know it's something Mayor Adams cares about, is obesity and all of the relevant health conditions that go, go with it. New York City is second only to the Pentagon as a purchaser of food. We need to use that power in the marketplace to drive food companies to be creating healthier options for New Yorkers and other Americans. And we have not embraced that massive tool, you know, enough out there. That's interesting. You were the first woman and the first LGBTQ uh, speaker of the New York City Council. Yes. So I'm, I'm wondering about, um, 
you know, gay rights um, nationally. And why, to your mind, has that become a partisan issue? Because I thought we were sort of past yeah. that when we had marriage equality, and now it seems to be coming back. Why is that the case? Right. We thought we were past that. We thought we were past repealing Roe versus Wade. I mean, I think there's a lot of things we thought we were past before Donald Trump got, got uh, uh, elected. With any, with most issues, but certainly with LGBT issues, there is a small portion of Americans who don't support LGBT issues, the far, far right, for whatever reason. And the Republican Party has decided to pander to them that that 20% or whatever it is, is the base they are going to count on. A lot of these folks claim to be religious, though they will make their bones by attacking other individuals, attacking young people who are LGBTQ, which we know rises the su suicide rate. LGBTQ kids are one of the highest rate of suicide or suicide attempts in the country. So it really is politics at its most ugly and people putting a small number of votes ahead of human lives. What would you do or what advice would you give to CEOs of big, just say national or multinational companies you know, the old Michael Jordan Republicans buy sneakers, too. Yep. How do, you, how do you navigate this, Christine? And can you take a stand? Should you stay out of politics? What do you think about that? Um, you know, Republicans buy sneakers. But at the end of the day, you know, how many Gulf streams do you really need uh, to be satisfied in life? Um, look, I know from the work we did around marriage equality that the positions of companies matter. Now, you as a CEO may not give a rat's ass about gay rights. You may not like gay people, but you know what? You have gay employees. And the rights structure of the city or town or state you're in will make a difference in whether those LGBT employees stay at your company. So when we were doing the second vote on marriage in New York, we had a we had a letter that many, many CEOs signed. And what they said was, this isn't a political issue for us. We don't care. But what we care about is New York not having marriage is now at a competitive disadvantage to Connecticut and Massachusetts, and at that point, maybe New Jersey, though we did it before New Jersey. That was compelling to Republicans in the New York State Senate. So CEOs, again, I don't really care what you think. I care what you do. And you should get out there and support the LGBT community because you need to support your employees or you're going to lose them. Yeah, a little bit of an economic angle. Speaking of which, what do you think about inflation and what that does to the communities that you serve? Um, well, look, prices going up of items is an incredible challenge to the, the communities I serve. Most of our families are getting by on food stamps, right? So if three weeks ago... Uh, uh, eggs cost X, and now they cost Y, and Y is greater than X, you have less to spend on the other things. So it is a real issue that is impacting our family. And what we see is we have food pantries in each one of our shelters. We see the families coming to pantry now more because their EBT, their food stamps, won't go as far. Andrew Cuomo seems to be launching a comeback. So I hear, I think he has a podcast. A podcast. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I think I won't be a guest. Um, you know, look, I think it's time to move on. 
it's time to move on. Things, he had done a lot of great things that he deserves a lot of credit for, including marriage equality, uh, including being a staunch uh, pro-choice governor and elected official, and then things went bad in a way that none of us, I was very, very close to him, that none of us would ever have imagined. And um, I think he just needs to find another way to make a living. He needs to find a way to make amends that isn't triggering to the women that he, he victimized and, and needs to move on. I think it's sad. Yeah. Um, you recently announced that you uh, were diagnosed with cancer, actually yes. in, a, in a Vogue piece that you did, right? Yes, an essay for Vogue. Yeah, an essay for Vogue. Talk to us about that and why did you decide to go public that way, Christine? Well, you know, I thought about it a, a lot, whether or not. And um, my mother died when I was 16 of breast cancer, and she was 56. And I turned 56 uh, this past July and got diagnosed with cancer this past May. And the coming of turning 56 before the cancer, when you get to the age your parent died and you were a child when you lost them, I knew from having talked to other people it was going to be traumatic. And it was going to bring up lots of memories, good and bad, and lots of the questions you ask yourself as a child. Because when something traumatic happens in your family, as a child, you blame yourself. Wrongly, but you blame yourself, whether it's a divorce or homelessness or cancer. So I certainly thought, though, when 56 came, that I would be healthy. So this was a wrinkle I was not looking for. And in just thinking over that, and thinking over having to have surgery and then chemotherapy and how lucky I was to have access to Memorial Sloan Kettering and how lucky I was to have people in my life and people who took the risk to reach out because often, and I've said it, I don't know what to say. Nobody really cares what you say. They just care that you reached out. Um, I felt like it might be helpful to share that. And most importantly, I wanted to urge people to get cancer screening. In my case, the colonoscopy, but prostate screenings, mammograms, whatever it is. Because if I had waited longer, the tumor might have broken out of the colon wall. And that would have been a very, very different situation. And so the colonoscopy uh, saved my life. And I know people is like, oh, it's terrible. The prep is terrible. It's not that bad. It's like having the flu for a night, whatever. Mm. All right. Final question, Christine. What does the future hold for you? Another try to be mayor of New York City? Or what are you thinking? You know, I don't know. I loved being an elected official. Boy, the days in the city council when you could pick up the phone and see a problem and, like, solve it like that, you know, they were great. Um, I'd love to be an elected official again. I don't have to be. You know, I feel being the CEO of Wynn has given me another way to help the city and to help people. So we'll see. Sounds like a deal. Christine <laughs> Quinn, former Speaker of New York City Council and CEO of Wynn, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. You've been watching Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Serwer.